Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about fighting tyranny, states nullifying federal law, Caroline Weatherington and Raj Dorsami, founders of Defend Florida, which is a project for all of America, will be joining me shortly, and lies, mobs, and losing America. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may hear more people talking about the idea of states nullifying federal laws. And I am very sure there'll be more and more conversation about that under this Biden administration. I'm going to tease that subject today, and we're going to be talking about it next week in more detail. But the basic concept is this. Our framers of the Constitution set up the idea that the federal government is a government of limited powers. They actually spelled out in the Constitution what kinds of powers the federal government should have. And therefore, any powers not given to the federal government are reserved to the states. The famous Tenth Amendment idea, those powers are reserved to the states. The powers spelled out in the Constitution in Article 1, Section 8, that are the federal government powers, are actually quite limited and quite specific. It has been decades since that standard was actually followed. Courts, including all the way to the Supreme Court, have permitted an expansion of federal power into all sorts of arenas in which there was no legitimate justification under the Constitution standards. And a lot of it had to do with courts finding that the federal government had jurisdiction under the Commerce Clause. But as we in America watch what's happening in 2020 in Washington, the massive expansion, not just of federal power, but the concern many Americans have about, you now have one party rule, the radical left, which is controlling the House, the Senate, and the White House. And just in these very first few months of the Biden administration, we have seen evidence of how they intend to use that power. For example, H.R. 1, the bill we talked about many times, a massive expansion of the federal government's control over elections in this country, or as I call it, the permanent election theft bill, mandating permanent election theft by the American left. We see all sorts of threats to free speech, including expanding regulatory definitions of what constitutes domestic terrorism to include people who dare to speak about whether or not the 2020 election was valid or whether fraud was actually part of that election. We've heard now in the Senate massive talk about expansion of gun control, gun confiscation. We have bill after bill after bill mentioned, discussed, or actually making its way toward the president in this just very first few months of the uh, federal government uh, of this new government and we have out of the Biden administration many hints that more things are to come uh, having to do allegedly fall, dealing with climate change so massive expansion of federal government's power because of climate and also um, the agenda they have with respect to immigration essentially abandoning the border and complicating that with enabling, giving a very fast path to citizenship for whatever number of illegal aliens it is who actually reside in the United States of America. You know, low estimates, 11 million high, 35 or more million. So you have a massive federal government expansion of power in a very short amount of time. So more scholars are paying attention to what this nullification idea is. It is not a new concept under President Biden. It is newly um, newly being re-examined under President Biden because so many people are concerned about the loss of individual freedoms of the American people. Very quickly, in the state of South Dakota, as examples of how states are working toward this issue, addressing this issue, in the state of South Dakota, a bill was introduced by South Dakota's Republican-controlled House of Representatives essentially to give the state attorney general the idea of reviewing executive orders issued by President Biden 
And the question that state attorney general can ask is, is this a constitutional or an, unco or an unconstitutional order? Legislation, this is in South Dakota, HB 1194, um, basically says after it was introduced after a flurry of executive orders by President Biden, um, basically says that when those orders are questionable, they're going to send it to those orders to within South Dakota, the Legislative Research Council to review if there's a concern about its constitutionality, that bill is going to go right over to their attorney general. The basic notion is they are not going to allow the federal government to simply run rough, roughshod over the right of the people of South Dakota. In particular, they are focusing on legislation. And are, in fact, they say the state's attorney general, and under this bill, the state's attorney general would be able to exempt South Dakota from any executive order that restricts a person's rights or is determined to be unconstitutional if the order relates to the following, and these are subject matters, a pandemic, uh, given what the government has done under COVID, a pandemic or other public health emergency, any regulation concerning natural resources, regulation of the agricultural industry, regulation of land use, regulation of the financial security sector through the imposition of environmental, social, or governmental standards on the financial sector. You've got to love this. Uh, and the regulation of the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. South Dakota giving heads up notice to the federal government, don't even think about trampling on our rights. Similarly, in the state of Oklahoma, lawmakers are, are working on legislation to stand up to President Biden, essentially moving to create a process to reject his executive orders. HB 1236 in Oklahoma, House of Representatives would allow the legislature to review each executive order to determine whether the Oklahoma Attorney General should, uh, should get to review it and decide its constitutionality. And so many of these bills in Oklahoma, they have the same uh, areas of concern in Oklahoma as in South Dakota, especially whether President Biden's regulations uh, pertain to pandemics, health emergencies, oil, natural gas, agriculture, land use, education. These are states newly awakening to the idea that they do have some power under the federal constitution to prevent what is a scary expansion of power by our federal government. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. At the start of the show, I mentioned we have two guests joining us. They're not in studio, but you'll see them shortly. They're joining us via Skype. Um, and I just recently met both of these people. Actually, I met Caroline in person um, at a conference and then later had a conference call. Uh, and these two individuals are working on something called Defend Florida, or started with Defend Florida. It's another concept similar, or it has similar um, roots to the idea of what I was talking about in the first five, which is it is time for the American people to recognize we hold the power and we must use the power we have under the Constitution and under our federal and state laws to stand up for our rights. So Caroline Weatherington, who will be joining us in just a moment, um, she is a co-founder of Defend Florida. She was president of Women for Trump Florida, um, and she is an activist, an entrepreneur, a leader, and a grassroots activist. She's part of this Defend Florida, and also, I will apologize ahead of time, I'm not sure how to pronounce Raj's last name. Love talking to him, not sure how, so he can tell us how to pronounce his last name, but Raj, I'm going to say Dorasami in my uh, English you know, speaking phonetics training. Anyway, Raj um, is actually an Indian by background, but grew up in Africa. And I will tell you, as we, I had a conference call with these two, I don't know how many, maybe 12 or 14 other people talking about the idea, what are we going to do as Americans to stand up, uh, given what, how concerned we are about the expansion of the federal power? Um, and in this call, Raj was talking about his background and, and how he came to see America as such a, a, a precious place, how he saw people around the world uh, who were living in places where they don't have the freedom we have in America. And he gave this really eloquent description of that, during which a friend of mine who wasn't in the room with me, she's on the conference call too, is texting me, this guy is making me cry, which is very sweet. It was a compliment. So without further ado, I'd like to bring on Caroline Weatherington and Raj and he'll tell us how to say his last name. So Raj, we'll start with you. Could you pr please pronounce your last name? Actually, Debbie, you did it perfectly. Dora Sami, and uh, in all in all candidness, I had difficulty pronouncing my own name for the most longest time, so you did it really well. Wow, okay, so I will tell you, I have a last name that a lot of people cannot say, and usually, even, even I've done a lot of media interviews, 
And even people have been on with you know 15 times right before they go on the other state. Tell me again how to say it, and I say George Addis. So okay. So without <laughs> further ado, Carolyn, I want to start with you because you are just a uh, you're an activist extraordinaire. I want to have you tell our listeners what this Defend Florida idea is all about. Tell us what the purpose is and how it's structured. It's a longer question. We'll go back and forth between the two of you, but I know you kind of got this going. So tell us about it. Okay, great, great. So Defend Florida is an idea, um, actually was Raj, Raj birthed this idea and, uh, and I embraced it and brought my Women for Trump movement over to, to get behind this movement. And basically what it is, is, is getting the people of the state of Florida together in such large numbers that we can influence our elected officials, both at the very local level, school board, county, city level, all the way up to the state level. We've determined that we can't do much about the federal government right now. We don't control any of the houses. And honestly, I don't even know if we control the Supreme Court at this point. Um, so what we need to focus on, we've decided, is our state, the state of Florida. So we've devised kind of a three-pronged approach. Uh, one is working with our state legislatures on uh, legislation to protect us from the federal government. That would be uh, nullification legislation and election integrity legislation, because uh, most people think Florida is just has honky-dory elections, but we don't. We have a lot of problems here. We have Dominion and ESNS machines in every county in our state. And uh, we do have evidence that there was tampering with the 2020 election and before. Uh, so we're working on that. Uh, in addition, we are we think that it's very important for the American people, not just the Floridians, to learn their constitution, both the U.S. Constitution and the constitution of your state, because that is the basis for the laws within your state. That's what your state representatives are supposed to be following. A lot of times they're not following the Constitution. But if you as a citizen know the Constitution, you can have more power to get them to do what you want. And the third uh, leg of this is the county level uh, involvement. We need people at the grassroots going to their school board meetings, going to their county commission meetings, talking to their supervisor of elections, making those people know who you are, what your name is, and that you're an involved a citizen and you want to know that they are representing your interests. So we're forming groups at the county level and the way we're doing it is a little unique. We are not creating new groups across the state. We don't have time for that. This has to get done like yesterday. So we are affiliating with groups that are already existing throughout the state. I mean, every county in our state has multiple groups. There were Trump groups. There were there are uh, groups that are focused on parent and child issues. There are groups that are Tea Party groups and pro-life groups and gun rights groups. And there's a lot of groups already. So what we do is we affiliate with those groups. We help them grow their membership by providing volunteers that come through Defend Florida to them to staff up their committees that are uh, keeping track of their elected officials. And they help us by promoting Defend Florida and expanding our movement. So really, we're creating a symbiotic, you know, win-win relationship with these groups that's helping us grow rapidly. That's a, in a nutshell. That, that was a great nutshell. Very, very great detailed <laughs> nutshell. So Raj, I want to turn to you. I, I know you can't, I don't like when people put me in the spot and say, tell me exactly what you said. It was something I said a month ago, but just basically you, because you are Indian by background, grew up in Africa, you grew up with a, uh, a outsider of America's appreciation for what people think about the goodness of America. And can you just, and, and the uniqueness, can you just give a little summary of what you had to say the other day? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, and, and Caroline's absolutely right in, in what she just said. Uh, the need for us to do something quickly and right now has never been more critical than it is right now. But how I came to this particular place in my life, um, Debbie, is um, first, um, I was, like you said, I was born uh, in Africa. Uh, my parents are from India, I was born in Africa. Uh, the country I was in, I left there when I was two years old. Uh, my parents left, uh, and then they went to a country, uh, it was Ethiopia, then they went to a country called Zambia. And that's where I really grew up, in the country of Zambia. And then my parents left there and went to a country called Zimbabwe. Um, and then I had the opportunity to come to the United States. So why I mention all of that is this. Each one of those countries that my parents left, they left because censorship, government control, the value of the individual, the value, I mean, the idea that an individual has God-given rights doesn't even exist 
over there. It's, it's this foreign notion. And so the government is free and able to take whatever uh, privileges they have, issue whatever privileges they, they want to. That's what we left. And now I'm coming in, I'm in this country here, and I can tell you, Debbie, that from my experience having lived outside this country, most of the planet would love so, so very much to live here. The freedoms that we have, the opportunities we have. In this country, up until a few months ago, anyone could do just about anything they wanted to, say anything they wanted to, the freedom of the individual was so honored. And in my view, I'm a Christian, your viewers may or may not be that way, but God honors the value of each individual person and their ability and privilege to choose and have choice. And that's what this country had. Now, it's gone. It's not that it's going, it's gone. And so while those people would love to live in this country, for me, I feel that I'm one of the very, very few on the planet as a percentage, a tiny few that actually get to live here. But I am impacted by what I see happening because what I see happening is exactly, it's not kind of, it's exactly what happens in the countries I just left. I left, not that I just left. So I, I'm, I'm privileged to be in here uh, in America now. My, I have a, I married an amazing woman and uh, we have three fabulous daughters, three accomplished young women that we're very proud of. And now the work is we've got to defend what we have because if we lose it in Florida where we are, or if you're in any of the states that are making a stand, if you lose it there, where are you going to go? Do not think for a minute that you're going to be able to change things in 2022. 22, 2022's election is going to be null and void unless, unless we take the actions that Debbie's talking about, that Caroline's talking about, and unless those actions are taken right now. So Debbie, I'm just so happy to be on your show and, and just share a little bit of my story. So glad you could. I, I love that. I, and it is, you hear more eloquent defense of the unique greatness of America from people who grew up in other countries. We've had people on our show who have, who grew up in Venezuela, who are trying to say, you know, you don't want to do this. And they, they will tell, they will say, the arguments you hear from the American left today are exactly what the socialists sold us in Venezuela 20 years ago. And it all sounded so great. It's not, oh yeah, sign up for that, free everything. And, and kind of dividing society and introducing uh, jealousy and resentment among the people, uh, pitting people against each other. The Democrat Party's MO is exactly what the socialists did in Venezuela and around the world. And we Americans need to resist and not be just surrendering to it and playing along their game. We've got to be the ones standing up for this extraordinary country and the great is that it was really created because of the ideas of the founding. So Caroline, back to you. I know you have Defend Florida. I love you have all these groups in Florida, but the call we around the other day was about the idea that other states can create similar things in their, their own states. You have Defend Florida. You talk about what you are trying to do around the country. And there's also, I'm sorry, I didn't write the website down. I think it's Defend the Union, but that may not be accurate. What if people in some other state want to do what you're doing in Florida? How do they do that? Okay, um, well, we have our website uh, for the national uh, defend movement. It's called Defend Our Union. And if you go to Defend Our Union and you click Get Involved, you can fill out an intake form and get information about joining the defend movement in your state. In addition to that, we have a Make America Free Again Unity Summit coming up this Sunday. Uh, it's March 21st. It starts at 5 p.m. is our reception or our mixer time frame. So from 5 to 6 Eastern time, we're going to be having a mixer. This is all virtual. It's an online event. Uh, from 6 to 9, we're having our main event with some fantastic speakers like Sidney Powell, Sheriff Mack, the constitutional sheriff. We've got Frank DiVarono, who is a Cuban-American hero. And all these people are going to be talking about how to get involved at the grassroots level in your state. There are tons of great organizations out there that are helping to organize people and do some great work across this nation. And we're going to have a lot of those people um, participating in the summit. So if you're interested in finding out what you can do in your state to defend your state, you can go to the summit and you can get tickets by texting the word ACTION 
to 474747. And I think I'll let Raj tell you a little bit more about our pre-party and our post-party events. Raj? Yeah, we're so excited about this because uh, like Caroline mentioned, and what you talked about, Debbie, as well, there's only one path forward that we see. And that path forward is a path that's only available if all of us collaborate and synergize. We're past, we're way past the scenario where one person or one group is going to save us, quote unquote, save us. The only path forward is for individuals that are watching this program to take personal responsibility to say that I'm going to defend my community. I'm going to defend my city, my county, my state, my country. If you're watching the show and you take that attitude that you're personally going to take responsibility for defending this country, then we've got a shot. If you don't, we don't have a shot. So it really comes down to you and I watching who's watching the show. Now, how does that actually happen? So as Caroline mentioned at this Unity Summit that we talked about, uh, it's pretty exciting. It's all virtual. Uh, we have this tailgate uh, pre-party at 5 p.m. Eastern, like Caroline talked about. You can join, make sure you can, your microphone and all of that's working. You're going to be have videos, interesting people. They're going to have interviews there. Six o'clock, the main event starts. If you're curious about other speakers, you need to text the word action to 474747, uh, and you'll get uh, an information on how to, how to see who the speakers are. Caroline's also mentioned a few. But listen, at 9 p.m., that's when it gets really exciting. We're calling that the after party, the afterglow, if you will. So you'll have had a couple of hours there talking to amazing speakers, getting inspired, seeing an actual demonstration of how different people are actually working together in unity. And at nine o'clock, everyone on the on the summit will have an opportunity to actually interact with those people. We're going to have these breakout parties where you can choose the person that you want to hang out with, the speaker, the group. We'll have a lot of groups there beyond the people that are speaking. You can pick a group and you'll actually be in your own virtual after party where you can talk and listen and chat. And we're hoping that out of this effort, you, the people watching this and who come to the summit, will get really connected with some of these leaders. And the reason why I want to connect you with these leaders is because we want you to see how critical and valuable your individual actions are. It really doesn't matter if you're a technical software guy like myself, uh, or if you're a priest, or if you're a student, a parent, a teacher, it, it doesn't matter if you're in this country and you're concerned about what's happening, I want you to know that the concern that you have is evidence that you can actually contribute something. And at the Unity Summit, you'll be able to see how you can contribute in many different ways that match your style, that match your personality, that match the, the button, that the, the thing that you're most concerned about. So that gives you an idea of what this summit is going to be. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you make some really great connections virtually, uh, and we hope to see you there. That was a great summary. I want to tell our listeners, I am going to attend this virtual summit. Again, it's this coming Sunday, March 21st. I'm attending. It's free to attend. You just have to get an online ticket, and it's an Eventbrite ticket, but you just click on, get the ticket, and you have it, and you have access. And I, I tell you, one of the reasons I wanted to do it, I mentioned to our listeners before, because I'm very politically active in Texas, I have had so many people call me after the time that President Biden, or even before he was sworn in, but after the apparent outcome of the election was obvious, people calling to say, I I'm so concerned. I can't believe what's happening to our country. And then more so as they go along and see their, their concerns were well-founded, that what they anticipated were concerned about really was coming to be on the American left, this control over our economy, which will flow from everything related to the environment, uh, gun control, your speech, elections, every aspect component of American life is going to be more and more controlled if they can by the federal government. And so people feel helpless. They say, well, what do I do? I, I, I'm stuck, we, we're stuck with this government. There's tremendous power in the states. There's tremendous power by the people uniting. And the 75 plus million Americans who actually voted for President Trump, 
They don't have to have President Trump as a president. They still can have his agenda, fight for it, stand for it, the uniqueness of America, the importance of standing up for America's place in the world. This is your way to do this, and you will feel, I anticipate feeling, because I'm going to go to this summit, you'll all of a sudden feel more connected and realize I'm not as alone as I thought maybe I was. I felt like I was alone because I'm sitting home watching all of this, and I can't imagine how to, how to fight it. But you'll connect with other groups in your state also who are fighting this. And I think, Caroline, you were telling me that every state, you can, you can become a leader in your state if you get really involved, become a leader in your state. You can say, I'll be the one. I, I tried helping send you all a few groups I knew about in Texas. There are dozens more. But you can get involved in your state, organize these, these group leaders so they are all on to the same agendas. Or I probably didn't explain it well. Why don't you explain what that is involved? Sure. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Either one of you. I said right, Caroline. I don't care. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead, Caroline. No, go ahead. I love. I love to hear you explain it every time. I love it. <laughs> so, um, uh, well, you can find more information about Defend Florida at defendflorida.org, and then more information about the state movement at defendourunion.org. But um, if you are a, a group leader in your state and you're interested in starting a defend uh, your state movement, uh, you can contact us through our website. We've been holding Zoom trainings for state leaders for a, a month now. Uh, state leaders from uh, many different states, at least a dozen states have uh, met with us. And it's, it's, we have a nice model. So we've created a model that you can port to your state. And so you're not reinventing the wheel. We have a lot of training videos. We have a lot of uh, instructional material, a lot of templates that you can use. So we're, and we're, you know, Raj and I, we're not a, a nonprofit, we're not a corporation, we're not raising money. We're just doing that as two citizens of the state of Florida who want to make a difference. And we're really contributing our own resources to make this happen. So you don't even have to have a lot of money behind you. You don't have to have anything other than the heart to do this and uh, and a little bit up here to get it organized and make it happen. And then and then a good uh, support network. So if you already have an organization, you have some infrastructure, you can do emails, you can contact people, you know how to organize people. That's really what you need to get this started. It's not rocket science, really. That's a wonderful thing. I also mentioned that as I first I actually met Caroline and mentioned a moment ago at a conference, was beginning to hear about the idea, read some literature she had. I know some group leaders who have spent a long time organizing conservative organizations, whether it's found, they are surrounding you know, uh, education or pro-life or uh, Second Amendment issues or it, whatever the topic is. People have worked hard over the years and they've assembled uh, big email lists, they have big memberships, and they're rightly protective of those. So you can be part of this, defend, in our case, we defend Texas. You're not being asked to send money and you're not being asked to surrender your email list. And so you can right. be still a leader who's connecting with other leaders, but it really is a way to help unify, um, unify the, the vast majority of Americans who really want their country back, who want America the free to remain America the free. So. Uh, again, I'll tell you folks, it's go to defend our union. I'm sorry, Caroline, defendourunion.org. Yes. .org. Defendourunion.org. Um, read there. You can text action to 474747. You can Google this event. I, I think I just Googled it to find it. Make America Free Again, which I love that name, Make America Free Again. Among many people you have heard of, Sydney Powell is speaking. Of course, she's uh, been on the show many times, and she is, um, she's, on, she's on the path to make sure we don't lose our country. So I think it would be a great, great summit. I thank you both for all that you're doing. And uh, any last uh, comments? Raj, I'll start with Raj. Any last things you want to share with the listeners? Yeah, so Debbie, what you said there regarding uh, business, I mean, organization leaders, it was so great that you said that, that because organization leaders work hard. They start the organization because they care. But I want to ask you as an organization leader to consider a new paradigm. If you've been working at this alone, kind of protecting, trying to grow your group, I mean, I acknowledge the work you've done. I just want to ask you to consider that in order for us to get to where we need to get to, we have to have a different strategy than the strategy that's brought us this far. So Defend Florida, as has been mentioned, we have this national campaign where people can text the word defend. That's a different uh, uh, initiative that we have. But we take the information from those folks and then we actually connect those people with you as an organization leader. So where I'm saying this because I'm wanting to give you uh, this, the, I want to explain, share with you that 
Defend Florida is an idea that's a safe and trusted ecosystem where you can have a way to actually grow your organization because we want to send people to you, plug them to you, and have your organization leverage the effectiveness of your brother and sister organizations because when we're working that way, not only will we regain our brightness and brilliancy as a culture and nation, but we will do that in every aspect of our nation, education, entertainment, politics, and business. Folks, a very, the 45th president said the best is yet to come. That did not change. That did not change on November 4th. And it didn't change because he made that statement because of his faith and trust in you. So take action, be at the summit, connect with us, text the word action to 474747. Look forward to seeing you at the summit. Thank you, Debbie, for having me. Raj, thanks for joining us. Caroline, any last thoughts? Uh, I just like to echo uh, what Raj said, unity. It's all about unity. We have to work together because we've lost ground to the left because we've run around and been infighting and um, been in our silos across this country and the left has been in lockstep and we have to take a lesson out of their playbook and be in lockstep. That's what this unity summit is about. Caroline Weatherington and Raj Dorsami, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate your, that you were available. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay, folks, I want to say one more point. You know, back to our oh, first five, I was mentioning this idea of uh, nullification. I'm going to tell you that as states take action like South Dakota did, Oklahoma, other states are talking about it. As those states take action to say, we're not going to follow unconstitutional executive orders. We're going to stand up for election integrity. Many states are contemplating saying to Washington, we're not going to follow HR1 because it's unconstitutional for you to take over the election system of this country. This is a time of great testing of the Union of America and, and people who believe in free and fair elections, the states that believe in those need to be standing up. But you will hear leftists argue that this is outrageous, that you can't be doing this, you can't, you know, we're, you're going to divide America, you can't be saying that states won't follow the certain things the federal government does. I just want to remind you, during the Trump years, and even prior to Trump, the left has been the orchestrator, the mover behind at least two very massive nullification efforts. One having to do with legalizing marijuana and other drugs in states, in individual states, various changes in various states. Although those laws in those states were absolutely inconsistent, impermissible under federal law. But those states decided on these grounds, on drug things, we're nullifying, we're doing it anyway. And you know, our union withstood that. Our union, we didn't have, you know, our union didn't fall apart because those states said, you know, we're, we're into drug use and we're into drug legalization and we're going to ignore the federal government. Same thing with respect to sanctuary states. Many left-wing states and left-wing cities announced themselves to be sanctuary cities, sanctuary states. And in those places, they simply refused to follow federal immigration law. So do not get distracted or pushed around by anyone who says, well, the states can't just go nullifying um, President Biden's orders. They can't just go nullifying federal law. Yeah, actually, the left has done this, too. It's actually a very healthy thing in America for all of us to begin to focus again on the Constitution, what powers the federal government is supposed to have, and therefore what powers are left to the states, because the federal government's power always trends toward more tyranny, more control, less freedom, which is why what the founders foresaw, you know, two centuries ago and recognized they needed to create a country where we have a federal government for some reasons, limited spelled out reasons, and beyond that, the power lies in the state governments. That still was true about America. And if ever there was a time for states in America to stand up for their freedoms, this is it. One last topic I want to hit today, and I got to tell you, folks, I call this lies, mobs, and losing America. I can't tell you how many people, I, I, you know, it's funny because I do this show, I do a lot of public speaking. A lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, I'm concerned about this. I want to talk about that. What, I mean, you know, concerned. Among the things, the themes I hear so often is that we just live in this labyrinth of lies in this country. This just, just massive labyrinth of lies, storylines cooked up by, and I, I'll say there are people who don't tell the truth on both sides of the aisle. 
and there are you know things that are i mean i'm not going to claim any politician or any person is perfect but it's like we have fallen into a culture in our country where we have and my term for it, the democrat media mob but the american left has decided they will dictate what is true and the american people will just have to believe it because they have they have dictated truth and we now have in this country as the left is just on the roll this marxist american left on the roll on a mission to take down this country to destroy the founding freedoms of america and that's what the democrat party is today it's a democrat marxist party dedicated to destroying america the free you have the willingness of more and more people to use any argument possible to justify the goal they want to get to any argument possible including extensive use of the argument that anyone who will not agree with them must be a racist a xenophobe a homophobe a hater whatever the word is they come up with and you have the use of the race issue the most tender of all issues we deal with maybe life is equally as tender but the issue of race used by the left to shut down and silence anyone who dares disagree with them, especially this is occurring with respect to election integrity. So you have people who are trying to, who recognize there was massive election fraud in 2020. They're trying to change laws in their states and every effort to confirm voter ID, to clean voter rolls, to be sure that people who are deceased or moved away have their names removed from the voter roll, to insist you have a picture ID when you vote. Basic common sense things like that which are all part of election integrity, are attacked as racist. But we're in this, we, people use the expression cancel culture, the concept of using race or some other argument to simply shut down anyone you want to shut down, to you know, just silence them, to eviscerate their very existence, is, is, is just expanding on steroids in this country. Lies perpetuated by the media and I'm going to go through a bunch of them because I want to make the point it's mob-like in its conduct it is in the Twitter mob the left-wing mob engages in this and ultimately what it gets to is actually losing the goodness of America I'm gonna give you some examples so there's a doctor a gentleman who's been a doctor for years uh, his name is Dr. Edward Livingston he was a, a, a medical doctor, a celebrated academic, known for compassion, wise hand at difficult topics. He was the deputy editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, J-A-M-A, Journal of the American Medical Association. And he was viewed as a, uh, I mean, just a highly regarded, highly respected guy, and also the host of a successful J-A-M-A Clinical Reviews podcast. He has now been destroyed by the mob of the American left, destroyed, removed, fired, you know, cast to the side as a person, persona non grata, nobody should ever talk to him again because of some things that were part of what he had to say. And, and I'll, first of all, I'll tell you some of the headlines about him. JAMA posts podcasts on structural racism. Here's the backlash. Um, JAMA apologizes and deletes a tweet that questioned racism in medicine. No physician is racist? Twitter calls foul on JAMA podcast. So this guy Livingston said in a podcast, he said, um, structural racism is an unfortunate term. Personally, I think taking racism out of the conversation will help. Many of us are offended by the concept that we are racist. So you get that far, and the left-wing mob in this country, you know, just descends on him like a herd of locusts to destroy him. He is fired by JAMA. He is, you know, and, and just attacked viciously. Here's what he actually said. Structural racism is an unfortunate term to describe a very real problem. There are structural problems in our society. As Dr. Katz, another person he had on, pointed out, there are neighborhoods that are impoverished. The quality of life is poor in those areas because we may put factories in them or have major thoroughfares that travel through them. 
but we strive to have a society that's more equal, where everybody has the same opportunities. The racism part means that in these poor areas, there tends to be a disproportionate share of certain kinds of races, such as blacks or Hispanics. They aren't there because they're not allowed to buy houses in better neighborhoods or because they can't get a job. That would be illegal, but disproportionality does exist. I'm getting at this point, my friends. This guy, who's now been like eviscerated as a human being, actually touts himself and has engaged in, identified himself, not only in support of directing attention to and trying to heal what he's writing about, talking about systemic racism, he's joined the anti-racist movement before all this happened. The anti-racist movement is part of what the left and the America is now saying is not enough to say, I oppose racism, I agree racism is evil, I think we should fight racism. Those things are not enough. To pass moral muster in the mindset of leftists who use race to divide and create hate in this country, they use race to create hate, they've concocted this notion of anti-racist. Like, you can't get away with saying, I oppose racism and I think racism is bad. You have to be, you have to prove yourself to their left-wing standards of what it means to be an anti-racist. So you have to be aggressive. You have to say the words they tell you to say. You have to join the movements they tell you to move. This guy, obliterated by the leftist mob, was actually himself an anti-racist. Someone who was actually agreeing, not playing along afterward, agreeing before this whole thing blew up with the idea that he has to be an anti-racist. But the left wing, they say the Twitter mob, that's not even good enough. The entire left wing of America is a massive mob that descends on one person after the next, after the next. They find a pick out of context, as happened to this gentleman. I could give you more detail, but the gist of it was he didn't say anything offensive. In fact, what he was saying was very consistent with what the left wing mob wants people to say. But because some statement he made or a tweet about a podcast was contorted, taken out of context, context, somebody pounces on it, all of a sudden he's a non-person, obliterated. And you know, you never hear them apologize for these kind of lies. Next lie I want to talk about that is truly harming America. You may remember back when President Trump engaged in a phone conversation. He was still present, he, he was post-election, but he's still present engaged in a phone conversation with an election official in Georgia. The Washington Post reported on this lengthy call that Trump had with a chief investigator in Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger's office. The Washington Post claimed that Trump called a chief investigator and asked for the official to find the fraud and told the person they'd be a national hero for it. Well, it turns out that wasn't true. And to be really clear, this was one of the points that the Democrat mob in the United States House made in their second impeachment of President Trump. They impeached him for, or included in their attack on him, this conversation with the people in Georgia. Washington Post falsely claimed that Trump called this chief investigator, asked him to find the fraud, and told the person to be a national hero. In early January, Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger appears, goes on, goes on to ABC, um, which show this week with George Stephanopoulos, and smears Trump by his calls to election officials. Okay, in the last few days, Washington Post added a major correction to their lie to their fake news story, smearing Trump, and they admitted that once a recording of Trump's call with this chief elections investigator uh, revealed that the paper had, uh, you know, just unfortunately, oops, we made a mistake, misquoted Trump's comments on the call. You know, the election's over, the impeachment is over, and I'm going to ask you how many people in America do you think are going to read this I'm sure buried on page you know, 17B underneath you know, the street cleaning schedule in Washington or some ridiculous thing hidden. But this is the kind of thing they, the Washington Post cooks up a smear, they happily spread it. It's a false story. The correction is very subtly made, you know, hidden in the back. And yet 
If you ask the American, average American, certainly a Democrat voter, they would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Trump tried to arm twist the Georgia uh, the elections people. It didn't happen. Washington Post, correction. So Trump put out a story, you know, thank God for President Trump's uh, tenacity. The original story was a hoax, says President Trump. Um, he said, and he said, Fulton County, anyway, it doesn't matter. He, let, he issued a long statement just basically saying the Georgia elections were a mess and the story was a hoax. But I, you know, and I'm grateful for President Trump being that brave, but the power of these lies, not just that led to his impeachment, but the average person doesn't even know what the truth was. And we'll never know. We'll still probably say that's true. I want to mention two other things very quickly along these lines uh, before I tell you what we should do about those. But you know, back when President Trump first began serving and the FBI and the DOJ, you know, whose upper ranks were filled with Obama plants, Obama supporters, people who were not supportive of President Trump, engaged in their three and a half year witch hunt against President Trump under the Trump Russia collusion hoax story. Even after millions of dollars and hundreds and thousands of hours of time spent by FBI agents and hundreds of depositions emerging, concluding with absolutely no collusion occurred between the Trump team and the Russians. There are still polls out there showing that a significant plurality, in fact, I think it's a majority of Democrats, if, when they're polled, say, oh yeah, Trump colluded with the Russians, they just couldn't find the proof. These lies have power. These lies have power. These lies, they cook up. And now that we recognize that the Trump, during the time of the Trump presidency, the DOJ and FBI actually knew as of October 2016, because John Brennan wrote it down, the CIA had said, looks like this whole smear thing was cooked up by Hillary, this whole Trump-Russia collusion thing cooked up by Hillary as a smear tactic. So they all recognized it wasn't true. But they went on and on with it. And this is what you have ignorant Americans holding on to and thinking they're well-informed Americans. So you have that whole lie. One last thing, and that has to do with what occurred in the Capitol on January 6th. On January 6th, President Trump holds his big, big rally uh, across town, talks to however many people were there, you know, and says peacefully and patriotically to go outside the Capitol and protest because that was the day that there was going to be the uh, presentation of, of the Electoral College votes to Congress, the joint session of Congress with then Vice President Pence pre uh, pre presiding on it. And so we all know happened January 6th. There was clearly a violent break-in. Uh, there were clearly uh, windows broken and people engaged in violence. To start with, I want to, so that all happened. And as I've said a thousand times, I think that everyone who engaged in violence, broke windows, pushed around, threatened, you know, committed crimes, should be prosecuted. We are seeing a very, very vigorous effort out of the FBI to track down everyone who is there, as we were talking about yesterday, and uh, pursuing prosecution where possible. And they should, whether they were Trump supporters, or whether they were Antifa, or whether they were Black Lives Matter, whatever the reason for, if they engage in crimes inside the Capitol, they should be prosecuted, and they're doing that. If they were in the Capitol and did not engage in crimes, they just enter the Capitol. We have plenty of videos showing Capitol Police at one point welcoming people in, which is normally the case at the Capitol. You're allowed, you used to be allowed to go into the Capitol. And so those who entered and did not commit crimes and were not violent should not be prosecuted. And the DOJ issued some statement weeks ago now saying, yeah, you know, if, the, if people just went in, they didn't do anything, didn't break a law, then they're not going to be prosecuted just for the fact they were inside. But one story that got floated at that time was the idea that the GOP lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, were somehow involved on January 6th, somehow enabling the riots. This was a Democrat talking point designed entirely to stir the ignorant American population into hating Trump or hating Trump more or hating Trump supporters or painting it with a broad brush every Trump supporter is a violent, crazy person trying to attack the, the American right. So you had months, you had Democrats claiming GOP lawmakers uh, engaged in this. So we're now two months later. That was January 6th. We're past March 6th. And where's the evidence of that? I mean, it, believe me, everyone, their brother in Washington is investigating this. The, the Capitol Police, the FBI, the Washington Police, everyone's looking into this. And I want to remind you of that story that floated around. Where exactly um, are the, uh, in fact, the argument of the Democrats was 
their Republican colleagues gave recon tours, like reconnaissance tours, to January 6th rioters prior to the storming. Federal prosecutors uh, have been looking around requesting videos and uh, still investigating allegations. The U.S. attorney for D.C. is still investigating allegations um, that Republican House lawmakers uh, are gave capital tours, Republican lawmaker. And, and so all of this. And you know what's come of that so far? Nothing. Nothing. This whole crazy. And this is on my theme of spreading lies for a political purpose. Nothing's come of that. There's no evidence after every left winger in Washington and their brother is working as hard as they can to find some basis to prove that some Republican was leading these Trump, uh, you know, Trump crazies into the Capitol ahead of time, giving them recon tours, and everyone's looking at tape, examining it, you know, can't find that. Where's the justice for the Republican Party or the GOP when someone finally has to say, actually, you know, that turned out to be, we think we just made that part up. You never get it. The Trump team, the Trump campaign team, his administration, they never really got the justice they deserved in light of the false allegations of the Russia-Trump collusion hoax. They never really got that vindication an innocent person should get of, hey, we're really sorry. In fact, mostly what you got, even from Democrat leaders, as to that, as to the Trump-Russia collusion thing, was more, well, okay, so they couldn't find it, but it was probably there. I mean, no, we're so sorry we falsely accused you. None of that. Same with this, GOP lawmakers. And I will tell you that this is a great story for the left to spread because it does spread fear and concern among the average Joe citizen thinking, wow, the Republicans were in on this? This is terrible. In fact, the FBI is putting out you know, pictures of, I mean, they're looking for people, they're questioning people. Um, and, and, and anyway, nada, okay. Also, inside the Capitol, now that we're discussing more and more who is inside the Capitol, and again, I do not support violence. I do not think that people on January 6th were justified in engaging in the smashing windows or any other violence engaged in that day. I am terribly sorry for the loss of life of every person, including, it appears, the innocent woman who was a, a, an actual um, a veteran. She had served in America's military shot to death by a Capitol Police officer, unarmed. She was unarmed. In fact, no evidence has emerged of anyone who actually got in of being armed. And the woman, the military well, one who had, was a veteran, unarmed, shot in the neck, shot to death by a Capitol Police officer. Conclusion, uh, no charges against the officer and no release of the officer's name. And then you had people who unfortunately suffered medical emergencies, which they might have suffered if they're sitting home on their couch, you know, in Cleveland someplace. Suffered medical emergencies and passed away, very sad. The other, the one officer, the one Capitol Police officer who lost his life, that story about he was hit over the head with a fire extinguisher uh, turned out to be a lie. Now, again, one of those stories, you know, flooded all over left-wing media and every left-wing hothead, you know, pointing out, yeah, and they're here are these crazy people and they beat him with a, with a fire hydrant, a, a, a fire, yeah, a um, fire extinguisher and was complete hogwash, hogwash, didn't happen. Now he, there, an officer, and he did survive that day, left the Capitol, texted his brother, went somewhere else, later passed away. I believe they are looking into the reasons for his death and they have charged a couple of people who were inside the Capitol with spraying something that he apparently inhaled. Okay, well, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of that. But I'm getting at the idea, the left wing cooks up the, the, the American people into outrage and anger and through lies and false stories the correction rarely ever happens. And then much, much later, if the correction does happen, it's hidden on page 17B underneath the schedule for uh, street cleaning or some other thing which no one is reading. So I want to say this last thing. I'm a little past time today, so I need to wrap this up and maybe I'll come back to this another day. But people are starting to talk about the idea that we've got to try to hold more of these liars accountable. There has to be some way that the American people can say, you know what, you spread that lie and you defame people and you defamed all of Trump supporters by claiming that, you know, the Trump supporters were the only ones in the Capitol that day. That, you know, you can't, you know, in fact, I think that's one of the things that would probably, uh, under the Biden administration's expansion of domestic terrorism, 
um, definitions, one of the things you're not allowed to say is it wasn't just the uh, Trump supporters in the Capitol on January 6th. There was Antifa there. There was Black Lives Matter there. There were other left-wing people, for whatever reason you attribute to them, in the Capitol that day, also engaging violence, fomenting it, in part, it appears, to hurt President Trump, his supporters, to give the appearance to the American people that the uh, Trump supporters were completely out of control. So there's a lot about... Um, a lot about this, I, 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 out of time, I got to come back to this. I want to talk about another day, the way that more we can be more and more involved in trying to point out that these lies have consequences. What they ultimately do, they don't just, they're not just lies about particular people, but they actually hurt political conversation. They hurt the ability of political groups to speak up and be active. They paint false pictures about other Americans in this country, cause people to say, well, you know, I, I, I liked Trump, but you know, once those people got in on January 6th, I'm done with them, I don't like Trump supporters, when there was so much more to this story. The lies about the Trump-Russia collusion hoax clearly hurt President Trump and his presidency and some of his followers who may have thought they liked him, but then were very concerned about that. We have become a country where too much of the American left is willing to tell lies, spread lies, and all of us begin to feel like we live in this universe of lies, and we are pushed around by them. The culture is shaped by those lies. The political conversation is shaped by the, those lies. The future is shaped by those lies. It's time for the American people, among many other things, to span, stand up and speak up for truth. Speak up for the truth that is part that you know is true. Examine the sources when you read something that sounds like another horrible depiction of some conservative group, anyone on the political right. Before you just swallow the story, hook, line, and sinker, do a little research. Read what the other side might say about that. Understand there are people on the left that use lies about America lies about conservatives, lies about Trump supporters, lies about President Trump himself, intentionally and knowingly for the very purpose of advancing their left-wing agenda. And part of our ability to fight back against that left-wing agenda is to expose those lies and to tell other people once you figure out what the truth is. We'll talk about that more another day, but for today, I am way past time, so I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our program today, the very beginning of our show. We started talking about fighting tyranny, states nullifying federal law, uh, single party Democrat rule in DC is already showing what tyranny looks like. From HR1 mandating permanent election fraud, intrusions in the second amendment rights, silencing political dissent by calling it domestic terrorism, incursions into religious freedom and much, much more. Individual states are becoming the last refuge for American patriots seeking protection of constitutional rights. Oklahoma resolving to refuse to comply with unconstitutional overreach. South Dakota preparing to reject certain Biden executive orders. Texas undertaking state level reinforcement of border control because you can't get the federal government to protect our borders. Conservatives are essentially creating sanctuary states to defy overreaching federal action. Standing for freedom requires action and bravery. And on lies, mobs, and losing America, the Washington Post corrects a fraudulent misstatement of Trump conversation with Georgia Secretary of State. WAPO's, which is the Washington Post, fraudulent report stirred hatred against Trump across the country, claiming he said, find the fraud. WAPO's fraudulent report cited in the second impeachment of Trump. It was all a lie by the Washington Post. Where is the accountability? Will it ever happen? A new study shows another mob narrative to be a lie. January 6th riot was not filled by red state QAnon types. Oh, I, I didn't even get to that. There was a study showing who was there. Riot was not filled with red state QAnon types, not supported by GOP reps. They did not give recon tours. Racist continues to be the mob's favorite tool for creating more lies. The doctor who is actually anti-racism, an anti-racism advocate, was canceled for saying doctors aren't racist which was not the whole of what he said. It was taken out of context. I didn't even get to this story. Senator Ron Johnson, God bless this man, he was pilloried for saying he's not worried about MAGA crowds, but was worried about Antifa, Black Lives Matter crowds. After years worth of empirical evidence of Antifa BLM rioting, causing billions of dollars of damage and destruction, Johnson, and this was a great thing, I'm sorry to get this story, 
Ron Johnson was pilloried for saying uh, as to January 6th, he was essentially um, not worried about MAGA crowds, but was worried about Antifa and BLM. And that was, oh my gosh, you're racist, you can't say that. He's like, that's not racist. He's not apologizing. Apologizing is not a, ra- a racist comment. It's a rational statement. And he's right. If you watch the news in our country over the last year, more people are going to be worried about the conduct of Antifa and Black Lives Matter than a MAGA crowd, which pretty much consists of people waving flags and singing the national anthem. Americans must keep seeking, speaking, and honoring truth. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?